one of the Clemson Dubcasts, recording this on Monday, March 8th. Hope everyone out there is having a good start to the week. Clemson football hits the practice fields later this afternoon, and the latest sort of thing we're tackling at TigerIllustrated.com, the cornerback situation. They are down another uh, with Malcolm Green being out. Uh, he's going to have surgery at some point soon. So now they're down to, what, five, four? <laughs> I think there were four out there. Uh, last week, last Friday, uh, Sheridan Jones not present. So Mike Reed got his work cut out for him. Much more on that right now at TigerIllustrated.com. Title sponsor of the Dubcast since the very beginning back in August of 2018, Parm Smith & Argenhold Law Firm in downtown Greenville. They want you to know that their office remains open and available to serve you during the COVID-19 crisis. They are also offering their clients the ability to meet via telephone or through video conferencing. Whether you have a loved one who has suffered from a car accident, defective product, a neglectful nursing home facility, or medical malpractice issue, Parm Smith & Argenhold's Greenville lawyers can provide the protection and guidance you need. Free consultations, 864-990-4581 or on the web at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Okay, to our conversation, Justin Foster, really impressive guy. A uh, big reason for that is how he's handling the end of his football career. Really graceful, thoughtful way of going about it on his part. And he's got a lot of big things ahead of him, even though they won't be on the football field. All right, really enjoyed this conversation. Here we go. Honored to be joined by Justin Foster here. Um, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay, um, you know. Um, just still battling with COVID and um, the shortness of breath and things like that. But, you know, just doing all right. Just making it through it. So are you a long hauler? Is that the best description of it? Or Yes, that is the term that um, the doctors have um, classified me as a long hauler. Okay. And so your your decision uh made i guess last week which you announced uh, on social media with a really eloquent and thoughtful uh statement i'm just just curious how how long that was in the making and how much did you wrestle with it back and forth and and all that um it kind of had been something that hadn't brought up um 
in doing this past season, just when in doctor appointments and in the training room with um, just the medical professionals that were in there. And it was something that was always brought up and, um, you know, just something to think about down the road, um, you know, if things did not get better. And um, after the season was kind of, you know, we talked a little bit about it, you know, and just kind of went from there and um, we did some more tests. And throughout those tests, it kind of just – it it kind of was a point of just saying, you know, it's, it's not really getting any better. Um, and the term, I mean, they always would say you just needed more time. Um, that was always what they would say. It's just time. It's not really any medicine or anything that's going to, you know, cure this. All of a sudden, it's just time more than anything. And when you ask, you know, time frame, you know, when we first started out, you know, okay, it's three months here or six months and you'll be better um, on this medicine. And then, you know, we're getting close to a year and, you know, we had sat down and just ran those tests. And that's kind of after the end of the season, that's kind of had been the conversation ever since then. And um, going back and forth, just trying to figure out. And I kind of tossed around with it, with it, trying to figure out how long I wanted to wait. Um, and, you know, just figuring out the best decision for me. But it probably was a probably a month and a half of just going back and forth, actually talking about it and figuring out what was the best thing. And then you sat down to, or I guess, I guess, and then once you made the decision, can you take me to that day and, and who you informed first, like the series of phone calls you made? Well, um, I see how I put this. I had already talked with Coach Sweeney multiple times um, just about this. And, you know, he just wanted me to, you know, wait a little bit longer, think about it, and just make sure that I was confident in my decision. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to regret anything or anything like that. So me and him, it already had kind of been on the – everyone kind of already knew about it. I just hadn't made the final um, – you know, final decision. But I guess the people, how I went about it, um, I talked with um, Woody McCorvey, um, all the position coaches, um, and just kind of went through there. And then most of, a lot of the other players and stuff, um, they knew in the building that kind of it was my decision already. And then um, the training room, they already had knew, uh, just because talking with them on a daily basis. And then um, Coach Sweeney was the last one I went to just for the final um, you know, final say so, and um, I went in there and talked with him, and that was the final, final person I talked to about it. You know, just um, making it official. And he had said uh, he was hope. I don't know if hoping's the word, but he was holding out hope that uh, he thought it was still possible that you could um, wait it out and 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 eventually be an NFL player. Was he? I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't was he? I don't want to say trying to sell you on that, but was he trying to, uh, I guess, maybe encourage you toward that, uh, toward, toward that possibility? Yeah, I would say he was. He didn't want me to just sell myself short, and um, he was just, you know, telling me what my future could be. Um, you know, if this did get better, and um, the opportunities I would have if I was to. Um, continue playing and that, you know, the NFL was something, um, it was something that, you know, I would love to do, love to play. And just with everything that's going on, um, you know, coach Sweeney is always very hopeful and things getting better. And I am too. It's just that coach wanted me to just stick around and I was not okay with just sticking around with, 
you know, from the doctor visits and te- the last couple of tests we did and just, you know, um, the doctor recommended that it would be best to step away from football. And that's kind of, you know, I trust them and, the, um, you know, they're the medical professionals. So I had trusted them with it. But, yeah, I mean, it was – I see how to put it. He – always would bring up the NFL thing just to show, um, you know, cause that's kind of, that's kind of the thing, you know, once you graduate, I already graduated this past December and it's kind of the thing, you know, you're playing and, um, most players are playing and they're hoping to get a shot at the NFL. And, um, that was always something that I wanted to do. And he knew that. And, um, he just didn't want me to make any crazy decisions without thinking about it and thinking everything through. And you mentioned that the various medical folks have, tried to give you an idea of okay this is how long it's going to be but i mean geez it it, it's hard for them like with a a virus like a new virus that everybody's still trying to figure out is it even possible for them to accurately say okay this is when we think you will be better or are able to play football again i mean it's kind of a it's it's all kind of a crapshoot i guess isn't it or is that the feeling you get um, I would say, I mean, the, the virus is still new to, you know, um, everyone in the world. I mean, medical professionals, just a normal person. Um, it's new to everyone. They're learning new things every day uh, about the virus. And, you know, I can't, you know, I wouldn't say most of the doctors, you know, starting out, they, you know, they would, um, the best of their knowledge, um, mm-hmm. they would you know, tell me what they thought and go from there. But, you know, as research keeps going on, um, you know, learn new things. And as of right now, you know, they're still figuring things out. So they don't have a timeline for a person that's like a long haul hauler effect. And I guess, you know, they classify me in that and they don't really have a timeline for that. So that's kind of the hard thing is, you know, this when you start out with six months or you start out with this, you take this medicine and you'll be better. It's not like the flu or any other, you know, thing you can get. And, you know, you take this medicine and, you know, in eight weeks you're back to normal. You're good to go right now. I mean, they're still doing so much research, um, things like that, that it's kind of you know, just the unknown um, mm-hmm. at the moment. And who knows when that will when they'll have either a cure or, you know, what's the next thing to do and people that, you know, are having um, symptoms and these things long down the road, you know, so it's kind of still up in, I'm out, in my opinion, it's up in the air just on, um, you know, when that will be. And that's kind of where the situation led for me is the doctor was just very upfront with me and told me that, you know, time is just a thing and he doesn't know how long that could be it could be three months down the road or it could be another year for all he knows and um that was just kind of you know the turning point for me if they they truly don't know just yet he said that you know i'm not in any harm there's nothing going on with any of my scans to put me at risk of anything crazy going on but you know I'll be fine to do normal activities but not to push myself so that's kind of where I had to sit down and make my decision, but I don't believe that there is a timeline, uh, a exact timeline that someone is comfortable in saying that, you know, that someone would be better in this time frame. So here on March 8th, you know, obviously you're not participating in athletics or doing anything like that. What is your, what are your limitations just in everyday life uh, right now? Um, so I had a, 
I guess I'll give you a kind of breakdown of just my medical things that they diagnosed me with um, going down the MUSC. So I got diagnosed with vocal cord dysfunction. Um, I also, obviously COVID with short of breath, I have allergies and asthma. Um, kind of put my asthma in a very se- severe state, um, allergies in a severe state. I was alert. I'm allergic to everything. Um, and I had some problems with just swallowing um, and with acid reflux and things like that um, that came up um, just from after having COVID and things like that. So with all those, um, I have problems on a daily basis, um, just eating eating normal food that I would have ate before COVID, um, just swallowing. I have to make sure I like do a lot of clearing of my throat, um, talking for a very long period of time. Um, sometimes it affects me, sometimes it doesn't. It affects me where I get to where I'm out of breath and I can't can't talk anymore for a while. I have to just rest. Um, any physical activity other than walking, if I begin to like jog, um, walk at a fast pace, um, lifting things, um, I begin to get out of breath very quickly. Um, and when we were doing, you know, trying to do workouts and trying to work me back into things, just testing things every day, you know, um, it came up, you know, maybe I'm out of shape, which is true. I'm probably out of shape now just from, you know, not being in physical activity for a long period of time. But, you know, we work for a couple months just, you know, making sure I'm biking. I'm doing something every day just to get try to build up, build everything back up. And, you know, after doing that for a while, it still kind of led to the same thing. You know, you would do I would do a workout and I'll be down for three days just just with my breathing. So everyday activities, I wouldn't say they're normal. Um, if you would see me, um, I probably wouldn't say much about it. Um, I just kind of try to push through as much as possible. Um, but most of the time I'm out of breath and I just have to adjust what I'm doing. If I'm going somewhere or whatever, I just have to slow down and just make sure that I don't push it to a limit of pushing myself into like an asthma attack or just, something extreme so it's just just a process that i have to adjust to that i'm not used to that's a lot of stuff yeah (laughs) that so is the interpretation you've been given that covid caused allergic reactions to mess with your vocal cords and all that or is it something different from that um there's still studies and things coming out um just far what covid has caused um the diagnosis that I got was that um, I may have had a lot of these things at birth and they probably would have never affected me, um, you know, but with me contracting COVID, um, and I guess they're still trying to do research to figure out how all these things correlate to COVID. But for me, attracting COVID, it kind of set, set some of these things off and um, just kind of triggered them and, that's kind of just how they left it is, you know, um, if I didn't get COVID, I probably never would have had any of these problems. You know, I probably would still have my allergies and asthma I have to deal with. But other than that, I said, you know, probably wouldn't have had vocal cord dysfunction or, you know, um, the bad acid reflex stuff that's going on. Um, so they kind of put it as, you know, they don't know exactly if it caused it or you already had it, but, something with COVID kind of triggered it and um, they just kind of left it around there and went from there. And so the, has the, the 
has it been was it ever articulated to you the danger of resuming playing football uh playing and practicing football like what what could happen what could have happened um just what pushing myself on a daily basis it's just that i push myself um and you know with being short of breath um you know with um my numbers as far as my heart rate i'll push my heart rate to um a high level that you know i'm not usually used to it feels like your heart's beating on your chest and a lot of other people that have had COVID that are dealing with similar things can, you know, they have that same feeling of where, you know, you just feel like your chest is just beating so hard and um, just your heart rate's just really high up there. And that was one of the things that they were worried about, just when you're running around and then being short of breath. And then um, if it was pushing it to where it was an asthma attack or something like that, it was just something that, it was just something that was very hard to bear with on a daily basis and trying to play football. So if I did, if I was able to go out to practice and do something or do a workout, I would do the workout and practice. And then for the rest of the day, I'm kind of just done for the day. There's not really much else I do. Kind of just sit around, sleep and not do much just because it would take so much energy away from me. And most of the time I would have, really bad chest pains. I wouldn't feel good at all. And um, that was just kind of the things what, when I did play, when I was playing that was brought up with the doctor and I would tell him and, um, you know, there was nothing that they were extremely worried about other than the fact that I was short of breath and with my heart and things like that. So that was just kind of the things that at the moment they were like, you know, you're not pushing yourself. I mean, you're pushing yourself, but it's not a danger at the moment, but down the line, if you keep trying to push yourself and the breathing does not improve, there could be problems with heart and things, other things down the road. So that was kind of where they had left of that. And then not knowing the long-term effects of COVID of how it affects the body and different like that. So you mentioned that there, you talked to other people who also had the heart beating out of their chest. You talking about like friends or just maybe is it, there are people just you've come to this acquaintances I mean, or uh, just a lot of like other players and stuff. Just when after the couple, after they got COVID, um, they would have problems of that. Someone would be short of breath, even if they didn't have asthma, things like that. But just, they felt that their chest and stuff was like, it just felt hard to breathe and it just felt like their chest was beating really hard. And a lot of their symptoms improved very quickly, um, obviously compared to mine, <laughs> but, um, that was just a common thing that was just linger along. And then even with just normal family and friends that have got it, they kind of feel the same way. Um, and that's just kind of, I guess, a common thing. And I still to this day have the chest pains, even if I'm not working out or if I walk, and I'm just walking around the neighborhood. I still have the really bad chest pains and things like that. So, how much? Uh, I guess. What did your family think about the decision? And I'm sure you consulted with them plenty during the whole process, like your mom, your dad, your sister. I guess. Um. Yeah, I talked with them about it, and their biggest thing was just my health. And um, obviously, my twin sister has asthma, so she kind of understands some of the things that. Um, going through with just shortness of breath and how I feel on a daily basis. And the biggest thing is it's hard to explain to people, in my opinion, even like with doctors, just 
explaining to them how you feel with this just because it's new to them it's new to us and just explaining like how the shortness of breath feels on a daily basis like you're short of breath when you wake up you're short of breath when you start to do anything and if you're already short of breath when you start to be doing anything else it gets worse and then just explaining to them and then like my sister was a person that really understood because she has asthma and with having asthma you know you've had asthma attacks and things like that so you know it's like when someone tells you like you just can't physically breathe um but i mean all of them were very supportive throughout the whole process and just knowing the biggest thing with them was my health and uh make sure i was comfortable with the decision and if i was comfortable with the decision then they you know they were fine with it and that's kind of just how we left it. And um, I just told him how I felt about everything. And um, my dad and mom just said if I was comfortable and I was at peace with hanging up football, then that was um, that's the best decision for me, just for my health. If it's hard for you to explain to doctors what it's like, then I'm sure that um, out on the practice fields, it's not easy for coaches to really understand what you're going through and it's like wait why he looks okay why isn't he you know why isn't he back out here like who who's like who was the person to that explained it to that that had to maybe convey to them how how uh the magnitude of it was it you was it the doctors and and what was that process like i can't imagine it was the easiest thing in the world back in the summer when, when, you know, where they, they don't have knowledge, the coaches meaning, um, and even fellow teammates, they don't really understand what you're going through. So what was that process like? It was, it was a very difficult process, especially after getting COVID and the time we had voluntary workouts, just expressing how I felt. Um, Cause at the moment, at the time, I didn't even know that, you know, all this stuff was going on. I just know that I didn't really feel good. I was super tired. I was very short of breath. And then from my knowledge, I just thought that, you know, it was asthma. I just thought I've had asthma all my life. And I was like, you know, I hadn't worked out in a couple of weeks um, with the football team. You know, I kind of did my own little workouts at home during quarantine. So uh, I just thought, well, maybe, maybe I hadn't been in the routine of, you know, what we do on a daily basis and pushing ourselves to that limit. So maybe it's just I'm out of shape. And that's kind of like where we started with out of shape. And then it was like, okay, obviously something's going on with Justin. He can't finish the workouts. He can't do this. And every time we, um, you know, the team doctor were checkers, I was wheezing and we just were, um, said it was asthma. And that's kind of how I felt about it. You know, everyone felt that was asthma and which, I mean, which is a normal assumption with wheezing and shortness of breath like that. And that's what all the, in the past from my freshman and sophomore year, that's what we always dealt with. I mean, when um, I would have the seasons change and my asthma would flare up and, you know, we'd just do some nebulizers and uh, my inhaler. And most of the time in a day or so, I'll be back to normal. And that's kind of the process that we started. And, you know, as a couple of weeks went by, um, it wasn't back to normal. I would go try to run and, um, as you know, if you would see me in the facility walking around and stuff, I'll be fine. You know, I walk around and most of the time, you know, I would feel short of breath, but it wasn't enough that people could like know that, okay, Justin's not feeling good. And most of the time I never really say much about it. Every time someone asks me, I say, I'm all right and keep on moving. But, you know, it was very hard for people to see, okay, he can come to meetings. He can come do all this stuff, but 
walking and work out. And, you know, obviously if you see someone with an ACL and, you know, they're in a brace or they're on crutches or, you know, something like that, you know, they, you can actually see it, but like looking at me, they're like, okay, he's perfectly fine. And that's what kind of everyone thought for the longest time. And then, you know, with, you know, multiple docs appointments, just checking over things and then doing multiple tests over and over and over, you know, once I did my breathing test, it kind of alerted that, you know, okay, his breathing is not normal at all. Like, and that's not with him working out or doing anything. It's like him, his normal breathing, just sitting there is not normal. And that's kind of where it all started. Um, I did that, the breathing test and that test showed that, you know, my resting, just resting, sitting there, breathing wasn't normal at all. And that's kind of where the process started from there. Um, and then that's when it was multiple doctor visits everywhere. And then from there, you know, the trainers and stuff alert the coaches and tell them just kind of what's going on and coaches would check in on me and, you know, it was still hard for coaches and players and stuff to understand, but, you know, once I did not play, start playing through the season, I mean, obviously people knew that something was going on pretty serious. And, um, you know, most people just ask how I'm doing um, and go from there. Um, I wouldn't go into many details just because when I did explain it, a lot of people just didn't really understand. I mean, and that's just kind of how it was. And then with the doctors, I would just tell them how I felt. And the more tests we did, the more like, okay, it was like, okay, you have this going on. This is why this is happening. This is why you feel this way. And kind of just went from there. And once we kind of got everything that was going on, it was just kind of like, okay, now, how long should this, how long will this take to get better? Mm-hmm. And that's where, that was always the question of how long would it take and from there. So before the reality was apparent to everyone after all the tests and stuff, did you feel like there was this notion held by some maybe that, oh man, his maybe his heart figuratively isn't in it or he's, what's wrong with him? Like that, you, you sort of felt that? Um. I didn't, I felt that like myself, I don't think that anyone felt like that. Um, I think like my, me, myself for a while, you know, I was just, I was kind of questioning myself on everything, you know, I was like for a while until the doctors actually found anything, I was questioning myself. I was like, you know, am I really out of shape? Like, like, am I just like, is something wrong with me? Like, am I just like mentally something's off because I'm like, you know, if the doctor's not finding anything, then like I should be fine, and that's kind of how in my head. So I would I would leave a doctor's appointment getting good news that you know your heart's good or this is good, and I'll be like, okay, I'm a, I'm gonna go work out. I'm try I'm gonna try this again tomorrow, see how it does, and you know I will push myself and I'm be like I'll leave out of the weight room or you know wherever, and I'll walk back in the training room and just shake my head at the trainer and tell him you know you know it's like it's not that's the same and. You know, they didn't, a lot of people didn't understand. I mean, and I questioned myself, um, and I don't think anyone ever questioned if my heart was in or anything just from, you know, how hard I worked and everything before. So I don't really think that was um, any out of a question for anyone. Everyone never questioned me or anything like that. Um, A lot of it was just kind of questions of like, what's going on? And, you know, that was really the question of what's going on, especially by a lot of players and you know, I try to explain it to them like I'm, I can't breathe from shortness of breath and things like that. And it's, that was just really the main thing of just 
what was going on and kind of going from there. Just more than a mystery uh, of yes. it. Yeah. So you, you sounds like if you've had asthma and allergies your whole life, it sounds like it was always something you had to maintain um, and something you dealt with on a on a very I guess, I guess on a regular basis in athletics. Yes, um, most of the time just dealing with asthma. I've always always growing up when I was a kid, I always kept an inhaler with me. And most of the time, I would never have to use it. I mean, every once in a while, I would have to use it. But most of the time, it was just in when the seasons change and pollen start falling. That's when I would have problems with asthma and allergies and things like that. But like I said before, it was usually just, you know, do my inhaler a couple times or a nebulizer. And, you know, I would be good to go either in a couple hours or so or right then or maybe just a day or so. And then usually I was good to go and, you know, back playing or whatever I was doing. It never was a, it never was to the point where it would take me out of a sport um, to where I couldn't play at all. And most of the time, even with having asthma or a reaction from whatever, uh, most of the time, once I got the medicine I needed, I could push through it and keep on playing. Can we go back to, I guess, March of last year, I guess a year now, um, is when the pandemic really, I guess, struck our shores first uh, in this country. Can you remember the first time you heard, I guess everybody's calling it coronavirus back then, back then. People weren't calling it COVID at the time, I don't think. Uh, when you first heard, like, did were you curious? Uh, did it really, did you think much about it initially? At first, I didn't really think much about it. I mean, you you hear all these other, you know, diseases or viruses that come across the news and stuff, and none of the stuff ever really hits home. And it's like, okay, you know, it, you know, those people got it, and they're getting better. Okay, that's good. And, you know, go from there. And then, like, when we heard about it and they were like, okay, we've got to start doing these protocols and doing this. It's like, Oh, this is going to, this is going to be gone in no time. Like <laughs> that's kind of like the reactions from like all the other players. And that's like, okay, this will be gone in no time. And then as it started, I think I want to say it was our spring break. I think we went on spring break and, um, after spring break, we didn't come back, um, yep. mm-hmm. because of the virus. And that's when it kind of started hitting. And then after like, I want to say like after a month or so, we were in the voluntary periods where, you know, no one was on campus. We could come to campus um, at our, if we wanted to, but you know, there was nothing mandatory. It was kind of like, okay, this is, this is kind of weird. And that's when it kind of like really started hitting me that, okay, this is, this is really serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so with you personally, once you start learning more about it and you learn that people with pre-existing conditions such as your asthma are uh, tend to be uh, affected in a greater way by it, what, what's going through your mind then? As And are you sort of, I guess, on higher alert, so to speak? I mean, for me, it was always, you know, you can't be scared to do go do things still. I mean, you still got to live your life and you know, do what we usually do. I mean, just be more cautious. So always wearing a mask, you know, obviously limiting where I was going, you know, not crowded places because most of most of the things were shut down, especially in the Clemson area. I mean, there really weren't any places to go. 
um, mm-hmm. to do anything. So I was kind of more just in the house, but at the same time, just being cautious, make sure I always had a mask on. And I really didn't go many places when, especially once we, after spring break and we kind of got locked down, um, I kind of just stayed in Clemson at home and, you know, either back to the facility, I would go to the facility, do workouts, come home, and then it was either just get food, come back to the house. And that was kind of my routine for a while um, because, I mean, pretty much everything was shut down and there really wasn't much to do at all. (laughs) So, um, but far as the asthma stuff and everything like that, I would just, I mean, there ain't really much you can do about it. Just be cautious and go from there and make sure you wear your mask. So you guys come back, um, I, was that late May or late June? I want to say, I want to say it was late May, right? Yes. I want to say we, we kind of kept flopping back and forth between voluntary and then um, mandatory back and forth. Um so we kind of just kept flopping back and forth, but around that time is when we kind of started back up. Yeah, and then in, I guess early to mid June is when y'all had the outbreak with a bunch of people getting it. it yes. Is is that when you got it? Yeah, the first couple outbreaks or so, um, I did not get it. I want to say I was kind of like on the last end of things. Excuse me. And um, on the last end of things, mom, I tested positive. Um, I want to say around the end of June mm-hmm. uh, when I tested positive. And then what? What was the what were the next couple of weeks like? I guess you were having to isolate. So I got home. a text message, text message from um, the trainer saying you had tested positive to start your quarantine. Um, start your quarantine. Stay at the house. Um, just stay at the house. I would walk around the neighborhood. Um, you know. look like use dumbbells and things like that, resistance bands, do a workout at home. And um, the first couple of days or so, I didn't, I mean, I felt fine. I didn't really, didn't really feel anything. Um, just slowly, I got a headache. From a headache, I start to feel really, really tired, um, lost taste and smell. Um, and from there, it just kind of went on. And those were kind of just all my symptoms. I didn't really have the fever or anything like that. And most of the time I was, I was still trying to get up, move around. Um, but I didn't really, it wasn't too bad actually having the virus. I mean, obviously no taste and smell, but the really thing was just the fatigue hitting and being so tired was the main thing that really affected me. Um, but other than that, I didn't really, I didn't really feel, I mean, I want to say I felt tired and fatigued for probably three or four days where I just sat around and didn't do anything. But after that, you know, I started to just feel a little bit better. And then um, after, I think it was a 10-day quarantine, after that, went and got checked from Dr. Reeves. And then um, he checked me and cleared me to start back, you know, going out and things like that. But even then, things were still shut down, <laughs> kind of like shut down. So it was still like quarantine. I mean, you went back home and you really didn't, I really didn't leave much. So, And so then... I guess you when you come back and, and resume workouts, when was the first time when it hit you that man this uh, something doesn't feel right and when it there could be some something something wrong? Uh, I I want to say it was the day after I got cleared from um, Dr. Reeves. I left the facility and I um I was taking a walk around the neighborhood and I was just walking and I hit a hill and I 
immediately had like an asthma attack and stopped right there. Um, got myself under control, made it back to the house and um, started my inhaler, albuterol. I alerted the trainer. I had an asthma attack and he made sure everything was good. And from there, um, I began to try to do workouts the next week. Did workouts. I only did like half the workout and that's when it began of, okay, maybe I'm out of shape. Is it just asthma, allergies? Let's take these medicines and we should be good because that's usually the normal routine and that's kind of where it all begins. Mm. And at what point did you start thinking, man, if I can't do this, then football might not happen for me this season? I was I was very, very hopeful throughout all of fall camp. Um, I see fall camp. Um, almost, I want to say into three or four games into the season, I was still really hopeful that I was going to get a chance to play. And even towards the um, end of the season, I mean, because it would be it would be a week or so that I felt really, really good. Was able to do a little bit more workouts, and I felt I was like, okay. Maybe if we can continue like this, you know, in three weeks from now, I'll be feeling a lot better. I'll be able to go out there and maybe just play a couple downs here and there, or whatever. And so, pretty much throughout the whole season, I was very hopeful of getting back to play, even coming to like the um, AC championship and um, semifinals and playoffs and stuff. I was still pretty hopeful um it didn't really i guess it really i kind of figured i wouldn't play but i was always hopeful and trying to just work out and push myself just to just for the chance if things did turn that you know i would be ready to play and that's kind of just how the process went throughout the whole season and you know be two weeks i'll be working out i felt really really good and then you know the next two weeks i'll be down just because like shortness of breath chest pain is really really bad and you know and then having so many different doctor appointments and i was always at doctor appointments Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the time so i mean it was i was just hopeful throughout the whole process uh just going through that and um it was a i mean for me it was tough just mentally mentally and physically just dealing with it because i began to have a lot of fatigue um just as i I would work out in the morning, try to work out. And the fatigue, if I worked out, it would just be all day long. I would just be so tired. And most of the time before um, coronavirus, I mean, I never really did nap during the day or, you know, I would just get up. And most of the time I worked out 530 in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, get the workout done, you know, class, practice, workout again, stuff like that. And I was always going and – Ever since that, I got the virus after that. And when I would do a workout, it was like I would have to sleep for two or three hours just to, just so I could feel better, just to start back moving around and doing things. It has to be such a weird, foreign sort of feeling. Like, I mean, as a, as a, as a high level athlete, you're wired to push through everything, every form of, adversity i guess or pain or whatever and yet and so you what can you describe what that conflict is like when you're 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 trying to balance your natural athletic sort of high level competitive instincts with listening to your body and trying to be conservative uh and careful with what you what you're doing 
I mean, obviously from playing sports all all my life, I mean, like you said, I've been driven and always to push through whatever. If it was an injury, if it was, you know, not feeling good, it didn't matter what it was, always to just push through and you know, that's just kinda of how I've always been wired. You know, if you if I had any kind of cut, breeze, whatever, it just pushed through. And um just the process of getting the virus and starting through all that was very difficult. Just most of the things, you know, you try to push through, but when it's like, oh well, it's shortness of breath, it's like I don't I can't really control too much of that. You know, I can take my medicine and but when I'm going to a workout or something and just trying to do something and it's like I physically can't do it and it's because of shortness of breath and most of the time it's like, okay, well, it's an ankle or hamstring. It's like, all right, we'll just tape it up, take a ibuprofen or whatever and just go with it. And, you know, you just have to deal with the actual pain of it, what it is. And most of the time, you know, when you're in the zone and you're out there playing or you're doing whatever, you know, after you get started, the pain, you know, it's just not there. I mean, it's still there, but it's mm-hmm. not there. And you don't really feel it. And it's just like, whatever your adrenaline kicks in and you're good to go. But like when, with this, it's just like physically, I can't, I can't do another half gas or another sprint. I can't lift the weight because I can't really breathe. Like, it's like I can breathe like enough to stay alive, but actually like pushing myself to do stuff. It's just like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And it was a lot of times, you know, I would go in there lifting weights and I would be lifting with the team and I would just walk away um, for a while. Or if we were doing a workout, I would just walk away. I just needed, needed time to myself just because like you said, I mean, it's, it's just natural for me to push through everything. And, I want to go again, but in reality, it's like, I know I don't, I can't push myself anymore. Um, if I push myself, you know, things don't go well when I do push myself. And that was kind of always the thing with the doctor. He said, you know, push yourself until you don't feel good. He said, the moment you start having chest pains, really getting short of breath, stop. Well, I mean, it's like, well, if he said, if I go from what the doctor says, if I do one sprint, or if I walk fast, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm short of breath. So it's like, I mean, what can I possibly do? And that was always the thing is like, okay, so what do I do if, you know, I barely do any physical activity and I'm short of breath? Or if I walk up the stairs going to the team meeting and I'm out of breath? It's like, so what What do I do? And that was the battle that I always fought with, not pushing myself to the point where I'm so short of breath that I might have to get oxygen or have to, that someone has to go with the trainers because I just can't physically move or do anything. And it's like, okay, well, I have to just control myself and tell myself that, you know, we're going to go this long. And when I do feel this pain, just stop. And if that's going five minutes or if it's going 20 minutes on um, the bike, or if that's lifting weights for only five minutes, then modify we'll just figure out how to modify the workout so that I can get a decent workout in. And that's just kind of the process that we went through throughout the whole season. I mean, even throughout the season, fall camp, um, all, everything I did was always modified just because even the bare minimum that, you know, most players could do when they're injured, you know, the normal routine that they would do, I couldn't do that. And if I did do it one day, then the next day is like, okay, yeah, he's not going to be able to do anything. And, you know, the doctor would check me every single day and he's like, yeah, he's not moving air well. 
And that's kind of like how we would always say is like, he's not moving air well today. Um, it'd be best if he probably didn't do anything, maybe just walk some laps around the field because he's not moving air well now. If we push it any harder, it's just going to get even worse from there, and it's going to be very difficult for him to do anything. So that was just the process of it. I mean, for me, mentally and physically, it was just hard just just to try to push yourself every single day, and you physically just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, getting you know, getting to a championship level, I mean, as a team, as a player, I mean, I, you know, the, the fourth quarter videos, like they don't put rings on smooth hands. Like you're, you're, you push through, you know, you push when it, when it feel, when you feel pain, you push through that. And so it's got, man, I can't imagine what that must, uh, what that must be like. Um, so it was, so like on your best day working out, what were you able to do? Um, usually I would go up, I would get on the Peloton I'll do a low impact ride and I'll ride for anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes, just at a slow, easy pace. And that was my cardio for the day. Because if we went outside and I actually ran, I would probably do one or two sprints and I was done for. Mm. And if I got on the treadmill, I couldn't walk that long on the treadmill unless it was at a very, very slow pace. So we felt that the Peloton, I could ride at a decent speed, and that was the best cardio for me at the time. So uh, most of the time I would get on the Peloton ride till I didn't really feel, and so I start to feel my chest and stuff like that or shortness of breath, and then I would get up, usually go take my inhaler or do a nebulizer. Um, I would usually rest from around, you know, either from like 10 minutes to almost 45. I would just sit around and rest, usually stretch or something in between, and then I will go from there and try to lift weights. And, you know, lifting weights could be I will get through half the workout or, you know, I would get through a full modified workout and just kind of go from there. And usually after the workout, I would have to sit down. I mean, I would sit in the locker room um, while we were at practice and I would sit there after I got done working out for hour to two hours just because I was short of breath and then until everything settled back down so I could walk outside and be around everybody and talk and do things like that just because it was difficult if I would go work out and immediately go and be around people and people asking questions because I mean the question was always like how do you feel mm-hmm. um you're gonna be like you're getting better and that was always the question. I really never, I never wanted to answer the question because I'm like, I don't know if I'm getting better. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just like, because I'm like, one day it's like, okay, I feel really, really good. The next day it's like, I feel worse than I did two weeks ago. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. So, I mean, that was the lines of a normal workout for me. And it just ranges, you know, sometimes it would be 10 minutes on the Peloton and then like a 15 minute weight session before my asthma stuff or asthma or COVID, however you want to put it, just kind of kicked in and just was like, okay, I'm not really moving there well. And we would go, I would usually go to the doctor before I started the workout, let him listen to my breathing, check everything and get to go ahead from him, start working out. As soon as I start working out and failed anything, I would go back in and let him check you see how things were and he would usually say, you know, you're breathing, you're not moving there as well from, you know, 20 minutes of just doing something. And that's kind of how the process went. So even on the best days, it was like, what, what percentage would you 
put on it, the number of, like the percentage of your normal, like half? I wouldn't even say half. Wow. I mean, I would say it was like 35, 40%. I mean, maybe not even that. Just from, I would say just the things that I was used to doing. I mean, you know, you're used to running half gasters or uh, 110s and things like that, and you run 20 of those at a high pace and you know you come in you might get a two three minute rest and you're back lifting and you know you go through a whole lift and most of the time just for me i would always push myself beyond what the the chart said you know what you're supposed to be lifting and that was just always the normal for me and even after a normal workout a normal workout without COVID and stuff like that, you know, after that, I was still, you know, we were either, we would go get in the pool, we would, um, you know, do different, um, just position work and things like that. And, you know, I just never, after getting COVID, you know, I never even did any of that stuff anymore. It was just like, okay, if I can't even do the normal running and lifting, it's like, well, I mean, how, how is it possible for me to even try to do any of the other stuff? So, I mean, I would probably say, I mean, at the best, like 40%, maybe. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as ITTE members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Harris flooring has been a major part of the facilities enhancements over at Clemson, not just with athletics, but also at the university level. And we are thrilled that they are a part of the Dubcast as a sponsor. Since 1947, the Junkins family and Harris Flooring have provided a unique shopping experience through value in their services, developing the right product solutions and delivering on their promises. To check out some reviews on their work, just go to their Facebook page, Harris Flooring America. Rave reviews, just first class all the way. Phone number 864-642-6183. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Xavier Thomas had his own uh, complications from from COVID. What was that like for him? And and I'm, I'm guessing you and he... Um, probably shared a, a, a certain kind of kinship over, over that, over, over going through that struggle or, or not? Yeah, we talked a good bit through it. And um, I think a lot of his was just he was dealing with kind of the shortness of breath and chest beating. That was just kind of his thing. And, uh, you know, his did take a little, um, you know, his was a little bit shorter, obviously, than mine. And he um, did get better as the season went on, but, you know, but his first little bit out of quarantine, he's just, you know, shortness of breath and um, his chest hurting was really just a lot of things that he dealt with. And, um, you know, we talked here and there from about it, but I mean, his did eventually get better for him. And now he, I think Dabo, um, before August camp started, Dabo sort of announced uh, his situation. He did not. He was never specific about yours. And I, I all along, I just guessed that 
uh, you wanted to keep your situation private and he was honoring that. Is that right? Yes. Um, I didn't, we didn't really know what was going on. Um, we didn't know if I was going to be back and I just felt best to just, um, you know, just not to really comment on it. And, um, you know, how I think how coach put it was, um, he's in our protocol and, Mm -hmm. um, that's just kind of how he left it for a while. And then, um, I kind of told him, uh, we had mentioned it one day. I said, I mean, it's cool if you say, you know, if it's asthma allergies or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, just because I didn't want to, I didn't want him to go out and, you know, say, well, he'll be back at this time, and then I'm I'm not back and things like that. And that's just kind of I just wanted to keep everything private until you know we got an actual idea of what was going on and different things like that. So that's just kind of, I just wanted to be, keep it private as possible. <laughs> sure. Sure. Did you ever have to go on oxygen? Um, I never did go on oxygen. Um, you know, I would use oxygen here and there when I wasn't feeling good, um, just to help out, but I was never on oxygen, um, or anything like that. How many, you mentioned going to MUSC, how many different doctors and specialists have you seen? Has it just been all over the place? Um, it's been all over the place. Um, you know, all throughout Clemson, Greenville, and then um, we jumped down to MUSC, and I'd had tons of visits down to MUSC. Um, and then um, we didn't want to keep going around to other doctors and just kind of because, I mean, every doctor you go to, they're doing almost the same test or a very similar tests. So um, we just let doctors kind of elaborate together with um, you know other other doctors they knew just to get ideas on what was going on because obviously a lot of people were still doing research and we just kind of went from there um and you know i would do different facetimes and um not facetimes but zooms and appointments with doctors um just tell them how i felt and they would elaborate back and forth with dr reeves um just getting the best um medications to be on um, the best process to go through, uh, what they were doing for other people, other client, um, patients that was helping and improving them. Maybe that would help. Um, it was, it was a lot. I mean, it was, it would be sometimes it was a, it was appointment almost every, every other day and, you know, go down to MUSC, um, come back and, you know, I'll go back down there again. Um, and it was always an all day thing. You know, you go to one appointment, and it was never just go to a doctor's appointment and get seen. It was always, okay, you got all these different tests to do before you see the doctor. Or, you know, you do all these tests and you got to see this doctor, see this specialist, this other doctor. So it was always it was always a process of going through. Can you describe the sort of, I guess, evolution of how seriously everyone in that football building I guess mainly the players but probably coaches too how seriously they took the virus like starting when y'all got back in late May or June and then to now and how much do you think your experience and Xavier Thomas's experience and maybe others experience that I don't know about have contributed to sort of the that evolution of um you know, what, how, of, of all these measures and, and protocols and all that stuff, if that makes any sense. I mean, the protocols that I had in place, I mean, the building was getting cleaned every day around the clock. Uh, you know, um, 
you had to wear a mask even if you didn't want to. You know, every once in a while a player would drop their mask down or whatever. But, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell anyone to keep a mask on when you hadn't done it all your life. Um, so the process of just getting used to, but I mean, I feel the protocols and stuff that were put in place were, um, very helpful. And with that, like, you know, with the outbreaks that we had and things like that, the more people that got it, the serious it got, I mean, it really kind of hit home and, um, you know, it did, you know, it work out and, you know, everyone had gloves, masks on, um, and things like that. And I think from players, coaches, um, just staff members, everyone, I mean, everyone was all on board with it. And we had meetings with coach and players and things like that, just to make sure that, you know, we were, they were doing the best they could and we were doing the best we could just to, um, keep everybody safe. Uh, the best we could. I'm sure you've heard, I guess people out there say, oh, it doesn't affect, you know, college kids at all and, and they're fine. And what do you have a, I mean, and statistically that's true, uh, but I'm just curious what your reaction is when you hear, I guess, the sort of maybe dismissing of, of any concerns about about college kids uh, getting COVID. I mean, it's like anything. I mean, um, you know, when it first started out, it was like, okay, it only affects um, older people and people with these pre this um, pre um, conditions and things like that. And now when I hear it and it's like, okay, well, it's not really going to affect me. You know, and I, you know, you hear it all the time from everybody. I mean, you don't have to be players. You can just be any random person. Well, if I get COVID, I'm going to be fine. And most of the time, you know, you are probably right. I mean, when people say that most of the time you are right, but I mean, you know, I felt the same way when I said, you know, I don't know when I when I'm going to get it, but if I do get it or if I don't get it, I'll be fine. I'll be, you know, it'll be like any other any other sickness. You know, you get it and you know you go. It works its course and you'll be good to go. And that's just kind of how I felt about it. And when I did get it, I was very surprised. I hadn't really been anywhere, and I just let it work its course. But I mean, for me, it's just you never really know and. I got it and, you know, things haven't went the way I wanted it to. And most of the time, most people that do get it probably won't, it probably won't affect them that bad. You may, you may have the normal symptoms that everyone has of taste, smell and things like that. And, you know, maybe a little bit shortness of breath, but most people are right. You know, at the end of the day, when they do it, it won't affect them like it's affecting me. I mean, you think about it, all the players on the team and I'm, I'm like the only case that's actually still going on of, you know, still having breathing problems and things like that. And other players that have had problems, you know, it was very minor and quick and they just got it, you got it fixed. And I mean, not even with any medicine, it was just a process of, okay, just a little bit of time, these two, three weeks and they're back to normal, which is usually the case. But I mean, I would just say, I mean, you got to take it like anything. You can't live fearful of living your life and stuff like that i mean obviously wear a mask wash your hands as much as possible but in the, the day when you get it you just have to deal with the consequences of it and just the process of it yeah one of the things that Dabo sweeney was adamant about and other coaches elsewhere were adamant about last summer was you know when when, when the season was very much in doubt it was hey th- these these guys these players are 
are way better off um, inside of this building and, and wh- where we can manage it and mitigate it as opposed to the, them being left to their own devices with nothing to shoot for or whatever. And, you know, they're going downtown all the time or sitting home. Um, that certainly seems to have have held true, um, you know, now looking back. Um, do you, you agree with that as well? I totally agree with that. I mean, if we look at my situation – and if I was not around Clemson football and um, medical professionals that were around, I probably would have been in the hospital. And I probably would. Mm. I don't know if I would have been hospitalized, but, you know, I probably would have had to take them that route and dealing with that. And who knows where that would have led. And, you know, I did. I, I was, you know, in the training room every day dealing with doctors and everything like that. And, you know, if I would have went without Clemson football, who knows how fast I would have got medical attention and who knows, you know, what, what path that would have led to and what would have went now or everything like that. So I truly believe, I mean, throughout this whole process, um, you know, us playing football and being on campus and just being around was the best decision um, by far. I mean, you know, when people were the food shortage and things like that, and you can't go to the grocery store and get food. I mean, we always had food at the facility. You always could eat there um, and things like that. So, I mean, I, I, I personally believe that was the best, I mean, best for college football for most players is, you know, just stay there, stick through it and go through the protocol of whatever your school or state put in. And I, I just believe that was the best for personally for me and other players. And I don't want to get too personal, but Clemson covers all the medical stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, that's another obvious uh, benefit. Um, and, and one of our one of your former high school teachers, I think you're still close to Lisa Jackson. Yes. Um, she's had a she's a actually a subscriber on our website, and she post she has posted her sort of testimony and and what she's gone through with COVID. She's a long hauler, and it's been really hard for her because she was a super fit marathon runner. Um, so I guess y'all have some common uh, stories to share, uh, when y'all get together. Yes. Um, so, all right, we spent all this time without talking about what you're going to do next. Um, seems like you have a lot of passion for, uh, the small business realm. I think, I think I read you're going to, you want to get into trucking, sort of picking up what your, what your dad has done in the Raleigh area. Is that right? Yes. So, um, that's kind of the route I want to take. Um, you know, obviously I have my degree in um, construction science and can always use that if um, I want to take that route. But um, I would like to start off with, you know, just a small business route. And um, I've been um, going up back and forth up to Raleigh um, with my father, just learning the ropes of um, how his business operates and things like that. And um, my my plan is to um, potentially start something in the Greenville area and this area. I just, man, I love, love this area. And, um, you know, just that's my plan. I'm just starting, um, starting trucks in this area. You've always had a passion for mechanical stuff. I think from your great grandmother, um, great grandfather, I apologize. Is that right? Where you picked all that yes. up? Yeah. Everyone in my family always was very big on, um, cars, mechanical, working on them, or just being around them. Um, so growing up, I was always around them. Um, my grandpa, my grandpa that I was always around um, in the family and um, other uncles, but my grandpa that taught me, he was big on lawnmowers. Uh, he always worked on lawnmowers. 
and I would sit out there all the time with him. And, you know, for a while, I would just hand him tools, and I just kind of learned what everything was. And he would tell me to go hand him this and hand him that, and I would just grab it and hand it to him, and I would just sit out there all day long as a kid. And then it started to get to where, as I got older, um, he would let me work on things. And his process of things were, I mean, he would take the spark plug loose um, just enough so it wouldn't start, and he would tell me to fix it. <laughs> and from my knowledge of things, I see break stuff down, do different things. So I would just start taking stuff apart, and I would take it all the way down to nothing. And he would always tell me, if you take it apart, you got to know how to put it back together. And, you know, the start of things, I would sit there for hours trying to figure out how things go back together. And uh, he would just sit there and watch and coach me through it. And I'll put everything back together and it start up. And he'd be like, it worked. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, but I don't know what I fixed. And he was like, well, <laughs> he said, you got to learn the basics, the basic things to check first. And, you know, he was telling me all these different things to check and go from there. And that's kind of like, that's kind of how it all got started. Um, you know, I started working on small engines with him and, you know, another uncle in the family would drag race and we would go over there all the time and they would be working on drag cars. And for the longest time, I would just sit around and watch. Um, that was my biggest thing is just sitting around watching and I would hand tools to different people. And when I go visit my father when I was younger, um, obviously his thing is um, trucking. He hauls heavy equipment and things like that. Um, so I would always be up there and I would just watch and hand tools to him. Even coming into high school, I would just hand tools to him, move trucks around for him and things like that. And as I went through high school and college, I would always hang out at um, different shops. And if I was getting work done on a car or if I'm just stopping by just to see, I would just always just sit around and watch and help out. And if that was um, – you know, bargaining me just sweeping the floors just so I can watch. And for me, it was just all watching. If I watched long enough, I could figure it out. And then when I would get the opportunity to do something, I already knew how most of the process was. And that's just kind of, I've always been very hands-on and mechanical, and I'm not afraid to take anything apart. And that's just kind of how I've always been. And then with football um on the football team i was always helping all the guys out i mean it was from flat tires dead batteries to everything i mean you, you can only imagine what them <laughs> <laughs> you said you were okay. hanging out at, at at shops in clemson yeah i mean i would hang out um i would hang out at different shops um, i was always at carolina diesel um you know whenever we had spare time um, and that's kind of how I started like messing with diesel trucks is when I got my first diesel truck from my dad and I brought it down there. I wanted to do a bunch of performance things to it. And, um, I didn't, I don't know anything about diesels. I was like, I don't know anything about diesels. So I'm going to find a place and I dropped it off there and done a bunch of work to it. And my dad was like, well, if you don't start learning, you're going to have to pay for that stuff. And I was like, well, I said, I guess I'll start learning. So I, you know, I would slowly start to tinker with different things myself and um, I would ask questions and you know from there I would just learn different things and you know I would have to explore myself when I was at home and just you know take different things apart and you know um, when I blew a head gasket on my truck I changed my own head gasket which was a very involved process but yeah. <laughs> um, did it myself and everything worked out like it should and you know that's just kind of the process that how I've started to learn different things and, um, 
you know, I'm still learning. I mean, it's always, especially with computers and stuff now, um, working on cars is changing, but I mean, I learn things every day new and I just love learning, especially with mechanical things and how things work and just problem solving. So Carolina diesel, is that in the Clemson area? Uh, it's right, um, right in Seneca. Oh, uh, so, so you just walk up and say, Hey, can I hang out here and learn? Is that um, most of the time, like when I was back home in Shelby, I would hang out at Premier Window and Tinting Audio. And what I would usually do is most of the time I would have my vehicle works on there. And like at Premier, I got my windows tinted. And from there, I just asked them if I could, if I could hang out and I'll sweep the floor and kind of just hang out. <laughs> it, it was kind of, it's always kind of a weird reaction for most people. <laughs> but, um, uh, and they were like, you know, kind of, what do you want? I don't really want anything. I just kind of want to just watch. <laughs> and um, I'll sit around and watch up there for the longest time. And um, I still go up there to this day. Um, we're really good friends. And I go up there this day and come in, um, help out and do different things. And then when it comes to, like, um, diesel trucks and stuff, I'm going to have my truck worked on down there. And I would always just stop by and, Usually I would stop by and I would plan on stopping by for 15 minutes and then I'll look at it and I'll be down there for seven hours and <laughs> just helping out or just like just sitting around talking. And that's just kind of how that is with most things. Most, if it's a shop or if it's stopping by and helping a friend out with stuff, it's usually, okay, well, I'm going to stop by and do this. And then it just goes on and on. Uh, your mother in a, an article in the Charlotte Observer recalled when you were three years old, uh, she had a she had a baker's rack in the kitchen that you noticed was loose, and you asked her, "Are you going to give me a screwdriver so I can tighten it up?" And uh, is she is she embellishing that at all? I mean, I know mothers tend to tend to uh, tend to embellish. But were you really three years old when that happened? I don't know how old I was when that happened, but <laughs> that is a story that she always tells, which is probably true because I would watch them all the time. I watched my grandfather and them and different people and they would always you know it was always just like small things and that's the biggest things like just listening listening to cars and um you know just watching stuff you the small things is where you actually realize different things and you know if it was i mean i still do it to this day i'll if i walk through the house and i touch something and something's loose it's like i gotta i gotta fix that i mean it bothers me if it's not <laughs> <laughs> and that's just kind of my thing. I mean, um, I just love being hands-on and, you know. So I don't know if she kind of stretched that story out to <laughs> on my age or not, but it probably was true because um, I was very I was very handy when I was younger, and I would, I would try anything. Um, I would put myself in some terrible situations at times. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I taught myself how to drive um, – a manual car myself and that was by watching my mom drive and change gears and press the clutch in and they never knew that i would watch and i would just sit there and watch all day long you know they would go on a trip i'll watch what the process she would do and i just knew if i could get past first gear i could i could go on down the road <laughs> <laughs> what was the most uh complicated uh job you did for your teammates uh as one of your teammates cars oh one of my teammates cars there's so many of them um or well this this happened on multiple cars um 
usually oh I, I got a, I got a good one Jackson Carmen um, Jackson Carmen broke down uh, somewhere in the middle of Georgia I don't know where <laughs> we went to but he got off of 85 and decided to go the back way because there was traffic and um, he called me and was like can you come pick me up and I was like um, <laughs> I was like yeah I mean yeah sure why not and I was like what's going on he's like the car won't go over like 25 miles an hour and I was like, where are you? He's like, I don't know. He said, I got off 85 and I was just going through the, going through the, wherever the GPS took me. And he was like, I'm in the middle. Like, he said, I don't see anything. I just see cows and pastures. And I was like, okay. I said, well, just send me your current location. And um, the question I asked was, could the car be driven on a trailer? Or do I need a trailer with a winch? I was like, because I don't have a winch on my trailer, but I can go borrow a trailer with a winch. And Jackson said, no, it's still drivable. I said, perfect. So I head down there, and I think I drove like two and a half hours. <laughs> and I got down there. It was, it was. I want to say it was like 11 o'clock at night. And it was like the day before. Um, it was the day before. I don't, I don't think it was fall camp. It was something. It was something important that we could not be late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Jack said that called me. So I went down there and got down there. So I was like, all right, well, I said, let me just look at the car because I might not have to tow it back. It might be something simple. So he was like, well, I was like another 10 miles down the road, but I kept on driving. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and we tried to start the car and it just clicked. And I was like, sounds like the starter. I said, I don't have time to mess with this right here. We'll just put it on the trailer. And I was like, oh, crap. The car won't start. So. Jackson was like, well, how do we get on the trailer? I was like, well, we're on a hill. I said, we can take the chance to just, you know, run up on the trailer. <laughs> like a roll, like a rollback trailer? Uh, just a regular car trailer you would pull behind a truck. Okay. And um, Jackson was like, okay. So we did that, got it on the trailer, and then we headed all the way back. And then Jackson was like, can you, well, can you check my car out and see what's wrong with it? And I'm like, sure. So... I checked it out, and then um, when it came down to it, it actually um, the motor was actually locked up. He <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, ran it low in oil, and it, it locked up the motor. And then <laughs> the crazy part of it was that he bought another car a couple weeks later, and he called me and was like, hey, can you check this car out for me? He's doing some weird stuff. <laughs> and the motor was actually bad in that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jackson have had some. Me and, Jackson was always the the worst phone call to get. And we we always had a good time, but he was always the worst call, phone call. You would never want to get a phone call from Jackson. And most of the times at the worst time would be late at night or something. Or he's like, "Oh, I'm going to miss this if I don't get the practice or whatever." I'm just like, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> But, I mean, there's been many times of different players, like, just going to go pick them up um, from wherever. And most of the time it was just simple stuff. I mean, um, brakes. Um, they would drive their cars until um, there was not a brake pad left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was just, it was all different things. I mean, um, brake pads, starters, alternators, all kinds of stuff. Um and it was a fun time. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed helping them out. And it was it was always a fun time. And something was always going to be very eventful when um, you got a phone call from one of them. <laughs> so do you have all, a bunch of tools that you had with Clemson that you, for, for those occasions? 
So I remember when I first got the Clemson as a freshman, um, I remember having a very little small tube box that I kept in the back of the car that barely has, you know, had some screwdrivers some sockets and stuff like that. And, um, for a while, that's what I used. And, um, when I moved off campus and got a place where I could actually put some stuff at, um, I slowly began to learn about the tool trucks that come by mechanic shops. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's where it all began, and slowly but surely, you know, one week it'd be all by, um, you know, some nice screwdrivers or sockets or whatever, and to now where you know I have a humongous toolbox that is completely full of Snap-on, Matco gear wrench, and um, you know just a bunch of stuff, and it's like okay, I need another one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. So it's always, I mean, I have, I have pretty much everything, everything you can think of, but I mean, there's always, I'm always getting more tools and things like that. So, For most high level athletes, football players, whatever, the hardest part about no longer playing that game is that is what has defined their entire existence. It sounds like your passion about working on stuff, mechanical things, that it does it make it does it make it easier that your life wasn't totally about football that you have this to sort of uh, to make you happy and to fulfill your some some of your passion. I, I would say it makes the it makes the process easier. Your transition out of football, um, you know, but I mean it's still difficult. I mean, just because football's been a great. I mean, I, I I loved it from you know the day I started playing and stuff like that, and it's been it's been great. But I would say you know just having other passions, other goals and dreams in life does help out. I mean, um, you know, as someday football has to end or any sport has to end for every athlete. And, you know, if it's age from people that are in the NFL that are, you know, getting on 40 years old or if it's, you know, an injury um, in the NFL or, you know, if you go back to high school where, you know, um, you know, people just don't get the opportunity to make it to play in college or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, someday it has to end for every athlete. I mean, and how I look at it is you just take football and football is an opportunity that helps you create other opportunities. And, you know, you meet people, you network, you can get your degree um, and, you know, you just have to take advantage of it. And, you know, for some people, it's taking advantage of it to the fullest and getting going to the NFL and playing and, you know, just having a good time and making money to start your life out. And, you know, that's how I look at it. I mean, Someday the game was going to have to end for me. I don't know when it was going to be, and I was hoping it was going to be in the NFL, uh, especially after you know the season and how things went. And you know that was the goal, and that's what I was training for in the off season, and just coming back to have another good year, and to potentially you know if you know NFL called, then you know that's where I was going to try to do. And you know 
so it has to end someday for everyone. But I mean, for all the athletes that play and stuff, I mean, you just have to be real with yourself. You got to be honest and, you know, you got to be honest about how good you really are. And, you know, are you good enough to actually play in the NFL or if you are not? So just take advantage of the situation of, you know, work as hard as you can, no matter if you're, you know, you're the shortest or you're the tallest person or the most talented or whatever, you know, just work as hard as you can every single day and, you know, get your degree and just bust your tail every time you step on the field, weight room, whatever, and just be the best you can. And at the end of the day, you know, everything will work out the way it needs to. And just for me, having other dreams, passions, I mean, for me, I, I mean, I've always wanted to own, own a business and that was, that was my goal. I mean, I wanted to, if I played in the NFL, was playing in the NFL until it ended. And then from there, open up a business. And if it was mechanics, working on cars, trucking, you know, or construction or whatever, that's just always been my goal. And, you know, how I look at it now is transition the, you know, competitiveness off the field to the business side of the business world. And just, you know, it's an everyday battle and, you know, just getting up every day and like, you know, you owning a business and, or just for me, just trying to start and it's just the everyday grind and just set goals. And for me, it's just, I mean, I, I love setting a challenge for myself and just achieving it. So that's just kind of my thing. And I, I do believe that, you know, having other dreams and goals is very helpful. Um, if you are transitioned out of sports and if you only make, your life about that, then, you know, it's very hard to transition. I mean, it's, it's hard for me still just because when I go out and I do see someone that speaks to me about football, you know, that's what most people want to talk about. You know, they just want to talk about football and how things are going. And, you know, it's fun. I mean, it's great. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, just everything's changing now. But I mean, I still, I mean, I enjoy it. I still enjoy talking to people about it and, at the end of the day, I will say that it does help having other goals and dreams in life. Justin, I feel bad. You said at the beginning that talking for long periods of time is not necessarily good for you, so I apologize. I, we, I've held you on the phone for a long time. Oh, you're uh, fine. I got, I got my water right here. To help. <laughs> is there anything we didn't cover that, you, that you'd like to uh, that, that, you, that you want to talk about? I, just, I feel like we covered a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think I think we cover everything. I would just say, you know, I, I'm I'm happy and I'm at peace with my decision. And you know, just for me, it was all about my health and with the doctors not really having a timeline just because COVID's new to them and you know everything. I just felt that this was the best decision for me. And you know, I've had a you know, I, I feel like I've had a great career through high school and even starting in elementary ball. Um, I feel like I've had a great career just playing and, you know, it's, it's been fun. I've enjoyed every bit of it. I wouldn't change anything. And, you know, I just, you know, I hate that this is the way it has to end, but you know, there's other things and other goals that I, I would love to achieve and I'm going to strive for every day. And, you know, I'm going to try to get as healthy as I can um, and just kind of go from there. And for all the athletes out there, I mean, I would just say, you know, kind of what I just said, you know, just be honest with yourself, work hard every day and push yourself 
you know, until, you know, you just push yourself every day, you step on the field, court or whatever, and, you know, always have a backup plan. Don't always put all your, you know, put everything in a sport and thinking you're going to make it because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. If it's an injury or if it's just, you know, it's just, you know, your time's up and, you know, just always have a backup plan, get your degree and just strive to be the best in whatever. And whenever the game transitions you out of it, you know, you just, you know, make sure you're at peace with it and have another goal and dream in life and just go and try to achieve that and do the best you can. And everything that, you know, sports have taught you, just being about competitive, just take it over to the, you know, the real world and the business world or whatever you want to do. And, you know, just use all those skills to help you out. Justin Vosser, thank you so much for opening up. What a, what a wonderful story and uh, best of luck to you in the next chapter. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Justin Foster for sharing so much of his time with us. I think you'll agree after hearing that. Really impressive kid. And we're going to try to keep in touch with him maybe over the next, I don't know, six months or a year. Check back in with him, see how he's doing. Appreciate our sponsors for supporting the podcast. And most of all, thanks to our listeners for checking it out. Everybody have a great week. Cheers. Cheers.